We're going to be in the book of Genesis, but we're, we're not really going through Genesis, though our first few messages have been uh, in Genesis, but we're dealing with this theme of Christ before Christmas. We're going to lead up to Christmas Eve, uh, but most people think about baby Jesus as the beginning, and we've learned in this series that Christ was very active. Jesus is all through the Old Testament. Uh, he's, he comes to earth in the form of a human, though he doesn't have a body yet. He interacts with Adam and Eve. He interacted with, with uh, Cain and Abel. He interacts today with Noah. Uh, Jesus is all, Abraham, he, 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 he comes to planet earth. God comes to us, which is one of the amazing things. He, ultimately, he comes permanently as a human and on Christmas, but we're seeing that Christ has been involved. Everything you can say about the earthly Lord Jesus, you can say about these appearances of the Lord in the Old Testament, except for the physical body. He takes the form. People see him. They think he's an angel or he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's in some form like a human. But it's God in the form of his eternal son, the Lord Jesus. And it makes a massive difference as you go through these stories. This is one of the most popular. I don't know if that's the right word. Probably controversial could be a good word. A lot of, a lot of most college campuses today would laugh at you if you they'd laugh at this sermon. You know, but that doesn't intimidate me. You know, knowledge doesn't intimidate me. You can be really smart and be stupid at the same time. Do you know that? You can be really smart, intellectual, and be totally dysfunctional emotionally, totally dysfunctional in your relationships. And many people are that are out there pontificating how stupid Christians are to be so naive and foolish to believe the Bible as God's word. I'm one of those stupid, foolish person that takes the Bible as God's book written for us. So I'm going to jump into the story, Genesis chapter 6, giving you the context before the flood. Verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Is there a, a could you have said that any broader, any more universal, any more depraved? It's not like, well, you know, there's some bad people out there. Every thought is how can I do something wrong, evil, bad, harmful, violent, destructive. Verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6. The Lord was grieved. Now, let me go back to verse 5. I don't want to miss it. It says the Lord saw. The word saw there, S-A-W, doesn't mean that God peered down from heaven and, oh, by the way, look, I can tell where these people are at. No, it meant that Jesus Christ before Christmas walked among and inspected the land. They didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't know. They just thought he was some stranger. He came to earth, inspected his creation. He saw, just like in the New Testament, when he's at the temple, and he's inspecting the temple, and he walks among it, and he starts throwing the tables over, and he drives people out with a whip, and people think, what? who is it? It's, this is his house. So what right do you have to come in the temple and drive us out? It's my house. You get somebody in my home that doesn't belong in my home, they're going out. You say, well, legally, if they, if they receive mail, they're going out. That's my house. You don't come in my house unless I invite you. And your grandchild. 
So then you don't need to be invited. You just walk in. So Jesus comes to planet Earth. He's, in, he's seeing his creation. And what he sees is not good. He's walking among. He's seeing the murder everywhere. Rape, violence, pillage. And then he says this. He sees it. Verse 6. And How does he respond? He says, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. That's one of the most insightful verses about God in the whole Bible. This is Jesus on earth weeping. weeping. They didn't know. He's standing around. They're violent. They're lust-filled. They're, they're perverted. They're, they're, they're just depraved. And he's sobbing because this is not the way he meant it to be. This is not the world and why he created it. He's the creator on earth witnessing the perversion of sin and what it's done to his people. If you have a God in your mind that's detached from your life, that's somehow far removed, he's out there somewhere, and that he's not affected by your behavior, he's not affected by your choices, then you have a warped view. And this is where Jesus has come to the planet to show us a God that cares. He weeps. Over our sin, he's affected by it. Some people would see this as somehow a, a deficiency, a God that could be drawn to tears, a God that could grieve. You know why? One word, love. If God didn't love, he wouldn't grieve. Many other faiths have a God that just moves in force. Crush the infidels. Destroy them. Not weep over them. We have a God who weeps. Jesus wept here. He wept on earth when he came as a human. When he looked over Jerusalem, he wept over it, the Bible says. You don't think he's not weeping today? He's weeping over what's going on. He weeps over the Palestinians. He doesn't weep more over the Israelis than he does the Palestinians. And he doesn't weep more over the people that were the mass shooting in Lewiston two weeks ago. He weeps over this planet that's so broken. He weeps over Ukraine and the slaughter. And, the, and he's, he's weeping over the sexual trafficking. He weeps over the abortions. He weeps because he cares. If he didn't care, the next verse, if you just took those verses out and you went from it's a wicked world to God's going to get them, you'll miss his heart and you'll miss the fact that judgment is not God's preferred reaction. Mercy is always his desire, but there comes a point where he has to respond or he's no longer loving. Now, that's where people just choke on this. And they don't get it that there is a judgment side of God, not because he wants it, but because he's just and he's caring. And if he doesn't eradicate the wickedness, it will just become more vile. More children will be raped and abused. More, more teenagers will be sexually trafficked. More people will be murdered and slaughtered and stolen by so look what it says in verse 7, after his heart was broken with pain. Verse 7, the Lord says, I will wipe mankind 
whom I have created. You say, who's God to do that? I made you. Like the African-American pastor I heard say to his son that was giving him fits, and he said, son, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Probably not a good line today. You could go to jail saying that, but I didn't have sons. Probably why. I would have liked that line. My favorite line, though, my, my, one of my buddies, his dad wasn't very big, and he drank a lot. And my buddy was pretty big, played line for the Fort Myers Green Wave, and he got into it with his dad one day. I mean, they were going at it. I've never seen it. I never would have said anything like that to my dad. He was a big man, and I never talked back to my dad to his face. I just did it behind his back. So They were going, and the dad says, you want to do it right now? You want to go at it right now? And Rodney, my friend's like, yeah, let's do it right now. And the dad says, you step outside. And I, I walked out with like, oh, my God, this is going to go down. All of a sudden, the door slammed. Every lock you could imagine went on that door. Two weeks he was out of that house. Two weeks. Dad proved his point. This is my home. You're not going to talk to me like that in my home. Anyway, why did I go off on that? There, it's, it's, it's probably a low, low blood sugar. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> point. There was a point. You could say, People can say, what right does God, he made the earth, he made, it's his creation. He says, I'm going to wipe out from the face of the earth all the men, animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, for I am grieved that I've made them. This, this, is, this is judgment. It's going to come again. We're going to go to that in a minute. But God always has a plan of mercy when he announces judgment. Next verse, but Noah, this is the exception. This is God, Jesus is on earth in this, saying these things, and he points out, Noah, come here. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then the writer of Genesis, Moses, makes a a kind of a, a background note about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, And he walked with God. Say it with me. He walked with God. Now, today in the New Testament, as believers in Jesus, I don't have a physical presence of Christ to walk with. I hold his hand by faith. And we walk not by sight, but by faith. But in that day, you're in a whole different deal. When it says that he walked with God, that means he literally walked with Jesus. Same as Enoch, the chapter before, which you could read about. He had an intimate, personal friendship as Adam and Eve did in the garden when he walked with them in the cool of the day. This is Jesus walking with Noah, disciple in him. Noah was a man after God. He saw Christ weeping over. He hears the announcement, I'm going to wipe the world out. And then he says this to Noah. I love this. Verse 11. Uh, he'll reiterate the corruption of the earth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Verse 13. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So... Make an ark, build a boat. The whole point of the ark 
was an alternative to the flood that was coming. Now, you've got to understand that this is, this is Jesus built up to Noah. So he's, Noah's living. He doesn't need someone to tell him. He's probably been damaged and abused and his kids and his family and, and all that he's going on. He's living in the midst of this violence and this culture. And again, God says, i got a plan. Remember, God always has a plan. He's never shocked in, in a place of, what do I do? Before he ever thought of the flood, he built, he planned, designed the ark. I love this. You know, think of Jesus laying out the blueprints to Noah. I don't know, did he have blueprints? How well? He's specific on every measurement, every size. God's a contractor. He designed the universe. He made the DNA molecule. I mean, I've listened to that and the whole spiral thing, and I, I still don't understand it. It's just, it's, a, it's like a computer chip inside of all of us that's unique just to us. I, it, it just, it's, it's, a, it's just people that can look at that and go, yep, that's a tadpole crawled out of the earth, became a monkey, monkey grew into a man, and just has that DNA chip in them. It just happened. That's like dynamiting this building, and out of it comes a laptop computer. Let's blow a building up and see if by the big bang, a laptop computer will come out of it. It's insanity. People are, anyway, avoid, you have to avoid these trails to go down as you're a pastor. And you have to be, you have to be nice. I've got my shoelace, and that's a long ways down. You've got to be nice. Stay on track. That's what my wife, when I'm done preaching, my wife's so exhausted. Because he's like, oh, honey, I was just praying for you to not, don't go down that road. Don't, do not take that path. So he, I love the fact, and I don't, I can't prove this. My theory is that Jesus helped build the ark. That's just a theory. I know Hollywood makes rocks become monsters that come help Noah build the ark. One of the Hollywood movies about Noah's ark. There were no monsters, giants that helped build the ark. Could have been just Noah and his boys. My thought is, Jesus came to earth and worked for 30 years as what? Carpenter. I think he had his first experience with a hammer right here helping. I don't know. I can't prove that. I just think it's cool that God's a builder. And he has a plan. He's building something that had never been built before. It had never rained before. He gives Noah 120 years to build this boat. 120 years years. And can you imagine the people were losing their minds making fun of him? Because who's no, they've never seen. Now, whether there was a boat around or not back then, I don't know. doesn't say. But there's never been rain. And if there was a boat, it wasn't something the size of several football fields that looked like a monstrosity. How many of you, have you ever, anybody been to Kentucky and seen the ark up there? I've heard amazing things about it up there. I, I just, my brother and sister-in-law were just there, said it was pretty, pretty powerful. But, you know, I'm not waiting for them to discover the ark to prove the Bible's true. I just happen to believe that the Bible's true. Now, God says, Noah, in fact, Peter says, you can throw that up real quick. In 2 Peter, it says, while he's building the ark, he was preaching righteousness. In first, or 2 Peter, it says, he didn't... Uh, uh, verse 5. We'll go to verse 5. 
if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. So he's building the boat. Can you see him on the scaffolding? The people are mocking him. Someone has said he's only had one sermon for 120 years. It's going to rain. Get in the boat. Is there more to be said? He called them to repent. You can't just get in the boat. You have to turn. It's righteousness. That boat represents Christ. We're going to look at that in a minute. It's, it's the place of safety. In fact, it's interesting. In, in, in chapter uh, 7, after Noah builds the ark 120 years, in chapter 7 and verse, uh, verse 16, you know, you know, he had uh, seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean. A clean animal was one that was allowed to be eaten even before the laws were made, the dietary laws, and they were, all, they were able to be made in a sacrifice. Like you couldn't sacrifice a vulture to God that was unclean, but you could sacrifice a dove. You couldn't sacrifice a hyena to God, and you couldn't eat one either, but you could sacrifice a lamb. So he took seven pairs uh, most people would miss that in trivia. Uh, seven pairs of animals. And so he's made this boat 120 years. Can you imagine preaching and your ministry, counting yourself? You have a total in your church of eight people. There are people around the world, some of them in Muslim countries, that have witnessed underground. They've had one convert in a decade. But that's one convert. That's one person that's found the love of Jesus. Noah preached for 120 years. His church didn't grow past eight. In our culture today, he'd be looked at as a failure, except God restarted the whole world with those eight people. He was a success, and everybody else was a failure. But in chapter 7, in verse 16, it says, The animals were coming, male and female, everything, every living thing as God had commanded. Then the Lord shut him in. Now here's, now God again could have gone door shut. There was only one door. Only one door into the tabernacle that Moses built. Only one access into the temple that Solomon built. Jesus comes in the New Testament says there's only one way to the Father. There's only one door to get in that ark. And the day he shut that door and I can see, I'm telling you, this is just me. I can't prove it. It says the Lord shut the door. And again, I, if you've learned anything in this series so far, is God loves to be interactive in his creation. I see Jesus on, as he invites Noah and his family to come in the ark. They're settled. They're at peace. They're ready. All their job was was to build it and get in it. I see the Lord in his strength shoving that door, and I see people at that time gathering, trying to get in that door. But when the door's shut, it isn't going to be opened again. If you don't think when it started raining that people weren't scraping their fingernails on the outside of that boat, let me in. It's too late. The door has been shut. There's an end 
Peter talks about it in the same chapter we looked at about him being a preacher of righteousness. If you go on and read in that chapter, it says many people have mocked about the second coming of Christ as though he's said it, and it's been said for hundreds and thousands of years. Where is his coming, and where is the promise of his coming? But God has been patient. Just like for 120 years, those people had an opportunity to make a change. They heard the preaching of the gospel, the, the, the righteousness of God. They heard the invitation to come into the ark. They heard to turn from your sins, and God has a different path. In 120 years, God, after grieving, seeing the condition, you think he stopped grieving? He didn't stop grieving. He waited in hopes that people would take the message seriously. Now, I want to just come and go to the New Testament Near the end of Christ's life, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and I want to tie the two stories Jesus does. He ties the two stories together. The second coming of Jesus, and I know there's a lot of talk right now on the social media, on, on all the different internet uh, type things and preachers, TV preachers and so on. I'm not discounting them. I'm just, I want to anchor my faith in what God says in his word not the emotions of the moment. Israel is a pivotal piece to watch in the timetable of the return of Christ. I, I believe that. That doesn't make what they're doing righteous. Uh, it's not a political statement. It just means that, that God has purposes, I believe, that are unfulfilled uh, for Israel. The church is now the Israel of God, we're the people. I don't believe that they're going to rebuild the temple, that God wants that to happen. And though there's a lot of people that, that believe in that, I don't. And I also don't believe in the, what you'll hear on the media more than you'll hear people like me, because I'm not on there. But I don't believe in what's called the pre-tribulational rapture, which is God's going to come in a secret moment. Nobody's going to know, whoop, the church is gone. Every Christian in the world leaves. And then there's seven years of tribulation, and then Christ will return. I don't believe that. I believe that Christ is going to return, and when he does, he'll call us up to meet him in the air. Now, I'd be glad to be wrong on that, uh, but there's a lot of misunderstanding of people that are building their confidence in the fact that I'm not going to have to suffer, I'm not going to have to be here, and I don't believe that that's the way God ever does it throughout the Bible. God takes his people through... The devastation. He takes them through the valley of the shadow of death. He took Noah and his family through the flood. He takes us through, protects us. Doesn't mean there won't be martyrs and suffering. But anyway, let's go to see what Jesus says about his return in Matthew chapter 23. In verse, starting in verse, I'm sorry, I said uh, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 36. No one knows about that day. He's speaking about his return. So if no one knows... What are the people that know? Deceived at best. Prideful, obviously. And we'll say, well, it says day or an hour. It doesn't say month or year. No. This is something that's hidden in God. He's not going to tell a TV preacher or a pastor or an author. He's not going to tell an Internet person what his own son didn't know. So when you hear that from people, take a few steps back and go, mm, be careful. Because when people, pride is always leads to 
you know, and there are people out there that use the return of Christ to scare people. To, and I've found it very ineffective. You, you can't scare people or shame people into the kingdom of God. It's an invitation. He didn't scare Noah into the ark. He said, come on in. He invited people to come that they wouldn't come. Jesus was an inviter, not a threat. But there is reality that Christ's mercy will come to a point where it's not going to wait any longer. And I don't know when that is. And it says no one does, even the Son of Man. Speaking of Jesus as a human, no one does. But verse 37, Jesus says this, as it was in the days of Noah. How do you know what it was like, Jesus? Is it because he, no, he was there. Any of you remember that back when you were in elementary school? You'd have to be my age. Or, and they showed those re reenactments, and it would say, and you were there. Anybody remember that? You've got to be old to remember that. Jesus says, I, I know what it was like. I walked and wept over the streets that Noah lived in. I wept over the condition of the people and the violence, and now I'm seeing it again. As it was in the days of Noah. Look what he says. Look what he describes. Instead of going to the violent piece, instead of going to the, to the, to the sin part, he just goes to normal life. He says in verse 38, for as, uh, uh, or uh, verse 37, for as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. They're just living life like we are today. Now, it's not wrong to live life with purpose and vision. That's not his point here. People that teach in time stuff that scare people into, I often want to say to people like that, that they set dates and they go this and they just, I said, why don't you just go out on a, on a credit card binge and just rack up some massive debt like America's doing and just and, and pass it because Jesus is coming it won't matter no because it's foolishness to do that the fact of the return promise of Christ doesn't my wife and I went through a series a, a season when we were younger and our children were young and we were fighting those battles to to guard I know we overreacted to Halloween back then but at least we had some standards we cared about what our kids watched. You gotta fight those battles. You gotta, as Noah did, he built an ark for his family. He, he saved his family by building an ark. You gotta, you can't just let your kids do whatever they want to do. That's just that's child abuse. But we later we got into the theology of the return of Christ, to being the rapture is gonna come, and 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 then the tribulation will follow after that, and and there were date setters and and, and we laid in bed, and Kim was crying. She says, why are we doing all this hard work with our children? There's no future for them on this earth anyway. That's when theology has gone bad in our hearts. Any theology that robs you from wanting to make a difference in this world is a wrong application of that end-time teaching. It's that people use this language. Well, why rearrange the furniture on the Titanic if you know it's going to sink? People say those things about people fighting for uh, a, a cleaner environment. People fighting for overcoming poverty and, and, and trying to defeat the sex trade 
or, or coming against the onslaught of the, the, the vicious drugs that are in, in our world or, or standing against abortion. And, and it, you, you have a responsibility as a Christ follower to be a light in this world until Christ says it's time to come home. Now, Jesus is telling this about these are people that aren't caring about the flood. They're not caring about what Noah said. They don't have any, it's foolishness to think that there's any danger in, in mind. They're just living life as though life will just go on indefinitely. And Jesus said, that's not how you're called to live. You're not called to live in some phobia. You're called to live in expectation, and there's a big difference. Verse 39, he said they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Christ is not going to sneak up on planet Earth. He's going to split the skies as lightning from the east to the west. His glory, the Bible says every eye will see him. That's not a whoop, gone. Where'd he go? How'd he get? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's in the desert. Let's go out and find him. Maybe he's over in Utah. Let's go out to Utah. Maybe he's in Israel. Let's go to Israel. No, Jesus said, when I come, it'll be sudden, unexpected, and visible to the whole planet. Every eye will see him. Now, I think that's a good thing. If that's not a good thing in you, then you're going to have to answer, why is that not a good thing? If, if Christ tells this suddenness, every generation since Jesus was meant to live in this tension of the sudden coming of Christ and go and build an ark. We have a job to point people to the ark. We don't literally have to build it. When Christ came, he built the new ark, which was salvation in his name. He is our ark, our boat. We're not building a boat. But this church, in a sense, represents, it's a poor version, not the building, but our gathering as his people is saying to people, come on into the ark. Again, not the building. Come into the faith in Christ. There's one door. And when you come in, the Lord seals it shut so you're safe. So Christ tells this comparison between the flood and Noah and his day, comparing it to our day. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 42. Therefore, I'm sorry, let me read 39. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. And what's the conclusion? Verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. Now, let me just say a couple things in closing that we learned from this. One is that God's mercy has a limit. Personally, individually, that's true. The Bible says, he that's often warned, often warned, and rejects the warning, shall soon be cut off, that without remedy. There comes a point where the Lord shuts the door. It's not my call, it's his call. How long, how many chances, how many offers of the good news, how many, I don't know, that's not, 
My job, like Noah, is to say, it's going to rain, get in the boat. Christ is going to return, and there will be nothing left when he does. So, number one, God's mercy has a limit. Don't presume on it. Don't presume because nothing bad happens to you and you're doing bad things that somehow it doesn't matter to God. He's weeping over you and he's giving you his invitation to come in the ark, come into his salvation. Number two, you've got to understand that we're to live in the tension between Christ is coming. It could be. It could be today. But it could be a hundred years. No, Jamie, it could never possibly be. I, I don't know. It's not mine to say. I'm to be ready. And if I die, which is another way to meet the Lord, so you can be all jacked up on the end times, but all of us know friends that didn't make it to 30. Hmm? All of us have friends that went to bed one night and didn't get up. All of us. All of us have people that didn't make it past their teens. There's a suddenness to life that is unexpected and un unknown. I don't know. But to presume that you have an indefinite amount of time is very is just that, presumption. You have to have humility to say, Lord, I want my heart ready that if I hear the trumpet sound, the announcement, as Pastor Kim preached at the women's retreat about the wise women that had oil in their lamps and they heard the bridegroom's here and they ran out the meeting, the others weren't ready. What would you do if you found out Christ is coming tomorrow? And what would it take? What, would it, what, what, what action steps might you take to get your life in order? Don't wait. Take them. I go to bed every night and make sure I've got a clean slate with God. Just take a few. Before you go to bed and you thank God for the day, you pray over my dreams. I pray the blood of Jesus over my dreams. And then I pray for God to show me if there's anything, anybody I need to forgive, anybody I need to pray for, anything I need to be cleansed of. You ever remember that little prayer that they used to teach your children? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, may the Lord my soul take. Something of that nature. Now I get it. That scares the crap out of children. I'm not sure that's necessarily a great prayer. But the principle is good. Your children are, there's no, you know, I, my first funeral was a four-year-old. First funeral. I was 23 years old, four. He didn't go to bed that night thinking that. It's not to put fear, but it's to have our hearts trusted in him. My only place of safety is in Christ, not in a place. If you think there's a safer place to live, then go find it. And an airplane will crash into your house and blow you up. I mean, there isn't, there's no safety's in a person. He's the ark. And when you come into Christ, he closes the door. And there's a day coming. He's going to close the door. I don't know when that day is. But when he closes the door, there's nobody else coming in. The door's shut. When he shuts it, it's his way of, A, 
protecting those that belong to him, but secondly, keeping out those that refused his offer over and over again. So God has a limit to his mercy. We're to live in expectancy. Come, Lord. Come. It's okay to pray that when life's hard, but the more dangerous time is when his life is good. Lord, let my heart not be attached to this world. It's hard. Now, I, I, I want, sometimes I think, oh, but I want to I see my grandbaby. I got friends that never saw the first grandchild. Now I'm wanting to see my grandbabies have babies. Make me a granddad, great granddad. But I've got friends that didn't see their daughter get married. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the life I have, but if I'm not careful, there's this sense of, I want to do this with my wife. I want to be able to go here. I want to be able, instead of saying, wait a minute, none of that is anything compared to Jesus Christ coming back. And I join the king in his presence and celebrate the glory and the wonder of who he is. Nobody that experiences that is going to go, but, but can I bring that boat with me? No, you don't need the boat. You don't need the car. You don't need the house. You don't need the bank account. You've got Jesus. He made it all. We've got a new heavens and a new earth coming and a new body. And you want to go back? Can I just get, can I just get that diamond ring? I left it in the drawer. I just said, no, the streets are made of them. Why do you want to get a little chunk out of there? Eye has not seen nor ear heard Neither has entered into the heart of humans the things for which God has prepared for those that love him. Nobody is going to regret letting go of anything that's earthly. That's what Noah's day, they were marrying and giving him. All they could see was this life. All they could see was their pleasure, their dreams. We better have a bigger dream. And that dream is Christ said he's coming back. And he will. May not be in my lifetime, but it may be. I'm to live ready, not in some false security of, well, probably this may have to happen. No, there will be no warning when he comes. It's not like you're going to get a news flash. Christ may return in the next few days. We're not sure we can see the atmosphere. When he comes, Boom, boom, every eye. Jesus just says, be ready, be ready. And part of being ready is helping our friends find their way into the ark. Which, just a side note, and I'll just, isn't it cool that God saved animals? It shows that creation is waiting for Christ to return as well. The creation doesn't want to live in this. They don't want to live in being strangled with, with polluted plastic. And you know, creation groans wanting Christ to return. I think sometimes creation wants it more than his people do. Okay. Just as he walked among days of Noah, just as he walked on this earth, and he talked about in the gospel, he's here this morning. Not visible that I can't see, but I feel I know his presence. And he's just walking among us because he, he's inviting us to come closer, to come to him. Let's pray together.
What an amazing, gracious father we have that he waits and waits and he's patient. He waited 120 years on that generation. He waited for them to come to repentance and come into the ark. No, all he could do was be faithful. And he faithfully built that boat and preached the good news, the offer of an escape. So we, like Noah, are doing that today. We're saying there's a way out, and it's through Jesus. He's the ark. He's the door. He's the way. So what do I do? You whisper a simple prayer and say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive my sins. Come be the Lord of my life. That doesn't change the world around you, but it changes the world in you. Christ comes and makes his kingdom in you, and he brings you into his ark of safety, salvation. And then many of you have prayed that prayer. You've done that, but you're just not in a place you're ready to meet the king. Your robes are dirty. You've not been seeking after the Lord. Don't hear God screaming angry at you. He seemed crying, inviting you to come home. And as the prodigal son, come home, be washed, be cleansed. Let your robes be clean. So when the call goes out, go you out to meet him. The king has come. That your thought won't be, why well, I, I got to do this and that. And I got to, no, I don't want to let go. No, it's, I'm, I'm, come on. Here I come. Here I come. Come, Jesus. Lord, bless this time of commitment. Lord, just give grace to those that need to take a stand today that will affect their destiny. In Jesus' name.